Genesis chapter number 24. We're going to read the entire chapter, and uh, it's 67 verses. Now, some of you said, oh, me. But uh, I tell you, we need the Word of God. And uh, old Dr. Tom Malone, an old-time man of God, used to always say, I read lots of Scripture for two reasons. He said, one, it takes me that long to get my courage up to preach. And he said, two, if you get persecuted in one passage, you can flee to another. Amen. So we're going to read the entire chapter. Uh, it gives us the entirety of a story that we're going to be preaching from this morning. Genesis chapter number 24. And uh, let's begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? Abraham said unto him, Beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land, he shall send his angel before thee. Thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again." And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swear to him concerning that matter. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of the, his master and departed. For all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia under the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day, and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master." And it came to pass, before he had done speaking that, behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again unto the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a gold earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold, and said, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee. 
Is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? She said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. She said, Moreover unto him, We have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. And the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And the damsel ran and told them of her mother's house these things. And Rebekah had a brother, and his name was Laban. And Laban ran out unto the man under the well. And it came to pass, when he saw the earring and bracelets upon his sister's hands, and when he heard the words of Rebekah his sister, saying, Thus spake the man unto me, that he came unto the man, and behold, he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, thou blessed of the Lord, wherefore standest thou without? For I have prepared the house and room for the camels. And the man came into the house, and he ungirded his camels, and gave straw and provender for the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the men's feet that were with him. And there was set meat before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told mine errand. And he said, Speak on. And he said, I am Abraham's servant, and the Lord hath blessed my master greatly. And he has become great, and he hath given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and men servants and maid servants and camels and asses. And Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old, and unto him hath he given all that he hath. And my master made me swear, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife to my son of the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but thou shalt go into my father's house and my kindred and take a wife unto my son. And I said unto my master, Peradventure the woman will not follow me. And he said unto me, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with thee and prosper thy way. And thou shalt take a wife for my son of my kindred and of my father's house. Then shalt thou be clear from this my oath when thou comest to my kindred. And if they give not thee one, thou shalt be clear from my oath. And I came this day unto the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if now thou do prosper my way which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water. And it shall come to pass that when the virgin cometh forth to draw water, and I say to her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water of thy pitcher to drink. And she say to me, Both drink thou, and I will also draw for thy camels. Let the same be the woman whom the Lord hath appointed out for my master's son." Before I had done speaking in mine heart, behold, Rebekah came forth with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down under the well and drew water. And I said unto her, Let me drink, I pray thee. And she made haste and let down her pitcher from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. So I drank, and she made the camels drink also. And I asked her and said, Whose daughter art thou? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bare unto him. And I put the earring upon her face and the bracelets upon her hands. And I bowed down mine head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, which had led me in the right way to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. And now if ye will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before thee, take her and go, and let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. 
And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. And they did eat and drink, he and the men that were with him, and tarried all night. And they rose up in the morning, and he said, Send me away unto my master. And her brother and her mother said, Let the damsel abide with us a few days, at the least ten. After that she shall go. And he said unto them, Hinder me not. Seeing the Lord hath prospered my way, send me away, that I may go to my master. And they said, We will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. And they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate thee. And Rebekah rose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels and followed the man. And the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And Isaac came from the way of the well, Lehai Roi, for he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meet and meditate in the field at the eventide. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. For she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Let's read one more verse, verse 58. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that it's precious. Thank you that it moves and stirs us. Thank you that it accomplishes in us that which is most needful. I pray, Heavenly Father, if there's one in our midst that is lost and undone without Christ, You'd show them their need of Calvary. Show them their need of their Savior. And Lord, I pray that you'd convict and convince them that they'd be saved before it's everlasting too late. Bless everything that'll take place. Hide me behind your cross, Lord, and give me the unction that I need for the preaching. We love you, Lord, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your patience. Now, we read that entire chapter, and my plan is to use that entire chapter this morning. But I'm very interested in verse number 58 and the question that they asked Rebecca. They called Rebecca and they said, Wilt thou go with this man. Can I say to you that in many ways, the salvation choice, the salvation decision could be put very simply and very plainly with this simple question, wilt thou go with this man? You see, when I read this passage, I find it to be a picture. I know that Abraham was a real man. I know that Isaac was really his son. I know that Eliezer, who was his steward, the ruler in his house, I know that he was really his servant. I know Rebecca was a real woman. I'm not saying we have cunningly devised fables before us because the Bible tells us we do not. But what I am saying is I see in this a picture of what happens to the lost sinner. Can I say to you that when I see this passage and I see Abraham, I see a picture of the sovereign God. You say, well, why is that, preacher? Well, let me give you three things. I see in Abraham a man of great wealth. It's hard for us to estimate how much money that Abraham must have had at this time in his life. He had stepped out by 
faith, just a Syrian ready to die, ready to perish, the Bible calls him. But he stepped out in faith and began to walk with God, and God prospered his way. We see uh, there in Genesis chapter 14, uh, whenever he goes to war to retrieve his nephew Lot, that he had an entire army that went with him. And uh, the words of Eliezer the steward here are very explicit that the Lord had prospered his way. Can I say to you that as we look around ourselves, there's not a thing that don't truly belong to God. Everything really belongs to God. The Bible says this, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We think we own it. We think we own a piece of it. We think it belongs to us. We go out, we take out a loan, we buy a house, we buy a piece of property, we pay for it for so long, they give us the deed. Uh, you know, we, we burn whatever papers we burn when that happens. And uh, we say, oh, this belongs to me, but it doesn't really belong to you. There'll come a day when you'll leave it and it'll go to another, and then they'll leave it and it'll go to another. Uh, but do you realize that this entire earth belongs to the Lord? Our God is a God of great wealth. But I see He's not only a God or a man of great wealth, but I see he's also a man of great wings. Now you say, preacher, wings? Are you telling me Abraham had wings? Well, I don't mean wings like we think of wings. But all through the Scripture, uh, we're told uh, about abiding under the wings of the Almighty. And that's figurative language. I don't believe God has wings any more than you or I have wings. We're made in His image. Uh, but what it means is just as a mother hen uh, would take her wings and cover her little chicks, uh, God has the power and the protection to watch over us. Could you have imagined at this time, <coughs> here Rebecca is living out in the place called Nahor, and here she is going out half and draw her own water. Uh, it was a dangerous thing for the women to have to go and do that. I mean, we might akin it today, if I can do this without being too blue, uh, to a lady having to walk by a construction site. Now listen, if you're a construction worker, I'm not speaking ill of you, but I think we all know what we mean. And it wouldn't have been uncommon, Rebecca, uh, having the duty of going going out. She was a fair young woman and having the duty of going out and uh, gathering the water for the day that she would have felt very vulnerable uh, there walking in front of all those shepherds and all those men out there tending their flocks. And oh, how she may have longed to be under the protection of a man by the name of Abraham. A man that had an entire army at his beck and call that at any moment could have sent people to protect and to watch over her. And I'd have you know that our God is an almighty God with great and mighty wings. I'd have you know whatever you're going through right now, whatever danger. Hey, you may have got a bad health report. Hey, you may be worried about something going on with your physical well-being. You may be worried about someone assaulting you. But can I say that if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, there's a God in heaven that watches over you, and He has great wings. But I see that He's not only a man of great wealth and great wings, I think He's a man of a great will. Abraham sends Eliezer out, his steward, and he's got a specific plan in mind. He says, uh, he says to Eliezer, and by the way, this is one of only a handful of times that the word thigh is found in the Word of God. And he tells Eliezer, put your hand under my thigh. It was a way of making an oath and making a promise. And he says, Eliezer, I want you to go out. I want you to find a bride for my son Isaac. I want you to bring that bride back. Uh, and he says uh, to him, uh, the Eliezer looks at him and says, well, what if she won't go? Abraham says, I know she'll come. I know she'll go with you. If she doesn't, you're free from the oath. But I know she'll go with you. He has a will. He has an idea. He has a purpose. And he has a plan. Can I say that God the Father has a plan for our lives? He is a sovereign God. We don't need to be scared of the sovereignty of God. Listen, God's so sovereign that God's not scared of my free will. Isn't that right? 
He's not scared of my free will. He gives me a choice in the matter. And that doesn't disrupt his sovereignty one bit. He's still a sovereign God. God has a purpose. God has a will. God has a plan. So I see Abraham as a picture of the sovereign father. But then if Abraham's God the father and Isaac is Abraham's son, it's only fitting that Isaac would be a picture of the Savior. And you'll find all through the Word of God that Isaac is just that. He's a picture of the Savior. I could give you a hundred reasons, but let me give you three. Let me say first off that he's a picture the Savior because he was the son of promise. Abraham was an old man when he left, uh, and uh, he only got older. That's how life goes, isn't that right? He was an old man when he left uh, Mesopotamia, when he uh, left uh, the, uh, the land of the Chaldeans. He was an old man at that point in his life, and he only got older. But God had made him a promise, said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And uh, despite all of what medical science then and medical science now would believe, Abraham is an old man and Sarah is an old woman, uh, bore a child. But do you know that before they ever bore Isaac, there was a time when Abraham hearkened unto the voice of his wife, Sarah, and he went in unto Hagar, his handmaid, and he had a child with Hagar. Uh, that child's name is uh, the name Ishmael. Do you know that today, to this day, Isaac and Ishmael are still quarreling? Isaac, all the descendants of Isaac are that of the Jewish people, and all the descendants of Ishmael are those of the Palestinian people. And to this day, they're still quarreling. But Ishmael, he wasn't the son of promise. Isaac was the son of promise. He was the one that God had promised. You say, what does that have to do with Jesus? Well, the book of Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16 talks about this promise that God made Abraham and says this, that he made the promise unto seed, not seeds as of many, but seed as of one. And the book of Galatians says, which is Jesus Christ. Do you know that Jesus Christ is truly the son of promise? The promised Messiah that all through the word of God, that since the beginning of time, The book of Revelation says he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. From the foundation of the world he was slain, and he's been the promised one that is coming. But not only because he's the son of promise, but because he's the son of preeminence. We find that there came a time uh, in the life of Abraham and Sarah and uh, Ishmael and Isaac when Isaac had to be cast out. You see, there came a time when I, when not Isaac, listen to me, when Ishmael had to be, you knew what I meant, amen, you're preaching with me, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, some of you ain't even listening anyway. You're going, I can't believe he really did it. After all this time, he really shaved it off. <laughs> so that's all right anyway. I'll just, like, like spaghetti, I'll throw it at you and see what sticks. There came a time when Ishmael had to be cast out. Ishmael couldn't have the same inheritance that Isaac had. You say, why? Hey, because he wasn't the son of preeminence. Can I say uh, that there is a lot of sons of God? But there's only one only begotten Son of God. He is the Son. He is the Son of God. The Bible says this. There was a revelation that came to Peter. And uh, Peter, you know, spent uh, he had that hoof and mouth disease. Amen. He spent more time. I, I mean, he, he spent more time with his foot in his mouth than it did in his shoe. But there came a time when Peter uh, looked at the Lord and the Lord said, Whom do ye say that I am? Who do you think that I am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord looked at him and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonas, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. He was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He's always been the Son of God. He'll always be the only begotten Son of God. He was the Son of preeminence. But I would say he's not only the Son of preeminence, I would say he's the Son of privilege. You see, they cast Ishmael out. Why? So that all the privilege 
would go to Isaac. Can I say to you that all the glory, all of the authority, all of the judgment is committed unto Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. You say, what's this whole Christianity thing about? It's about Jesus Christ. What's this whole heaven thing about? It's all about Jesus Christ. Uh, Everything that God has, I kind of like what was said here. Uh, Abraham takes all of his wealth, and I'll preach here in a minute, but Abraham takes all of his wealth. The Bible says that all of his wealth was in the hand of Eliezer. Uh, You say, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? He surely he wasn't carrying everything. That means that Eliezer had the power to take anything that belonged to Abraham and to give it to Rebekah because she was going to be marrying Isaac. Why? Because everything that belonged to Abraham was going to be going to Isaac. Everything that God has, He's given to His Son. Can I say that, thank the good Lord in heaven, that as a child of God, everything that's His is mine too. Amen. I see in Isaac a picture of the Savior, but I see in Eliezer a picture of the Spirit of God. He is a picture of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's going out and calling the bride. He's the one that's doing the work in the heart of Rebecca. Let me give you three reasons for that. I see that he's responsible, first off, with contacting Rebecca. It wasn't Abraham that went, and it wasn't Isaac that went. You know that, in fact, Abraham was very specific to say this. Don't bring Isaac into that place again. Can I say to you that Jesus has already died for our sins? He's not dying for him again. He did it right the first time. It's done. It's finished. It's over. And he's not doing it again. You know, the Bible says that those uh, that uh, have uh, been given the truth of the gospel and have rejected it, that they're guilty of trampling underfoot the blood of the Son of God. You remember what the man, a rich man uh, that was in hell said? You remember what he said? He said to uh, Abraham, he said, if you'll just send Lazarus uh, to go speak to my brethren, that'll be enough. That's all it would take to convince them. And Abraham said, no, they have the law and the prophets. And uh, he said, oh, but you don't understand. If one came back from the dead, they would believe. And uh, Abraham Abraham looked at him and said, no, they have the law and the prophets. Let them hear them. You say, what are you getting at? One's not going to die again for your sins. He's already died for your sins. And so he's not coming uh, back to do the work of the cross again. But he's left the Comforter, the Holy Spirit of God. And it's him that's responsible for contacting the sinner. Aren't you thankful the Holy Spirit of God contacted you one day? Run your bell, said your name, and said you're in need of a Savior. But I see he was not only tasked with contacting, but also with convincing her. It was the job of Eliezer uh, to talk this little girl into marrying a man she had never met before. You know, it's a remarkable thing for someone, and I've seen it done on doorsteps. I've seen it done at at camp devotionals and in camp services. I've seen it done in restaurants uh, for someone to take the Word of God and open it and look at someone that's a total stranger and completely destroy their worldview and their confidence in themselves and show them that their only hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. Do we really think that we're the ones doing that? Friend, we're not the ones doing that. We're not, the, we're not capable. I mean, listen, I, I talk for a living. That's what I make a paycheck off of, amen? I talk for a living. But I can't talk anyone into heaven, and I can't talk anyone out of their religion. The Holy Spirit of God has to do the convicting and convincing in the heart of the sinner. But I see not only was he responsible and tasked with contacting and with uh, convincing, but he was tasked with conveying her. It was the job of the Holy Spirit to carry her, or uh, the job of Eliezer to carry her all the way back to Isaac. Can I say the book of Ephesians says that you and I are sealed under the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of promise, the Spirit of God. Can I say that you're not, you're not getting saved on a down payment plan, friend? Because it's not a matter of payment, it's been paid for. 
And when you accept Jesus Christ as your uh, personal Savior, the Spirit of God takes up residency in your heart and in your life. You're not waiting to see if you're going to make it. Uh, It's already been declared. It's already been determined if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because you've been sealed under the day of redemption. What does that word sealed mean? I'm preaching a whole different message than I planned on, but i got to preach twice as hard to, to make you people believe I still got it. Amen? You'll know what to think. What does that mean to be sealed? Well, for one thing, it means to put a mark upon, don't it? Can I say the Spirit of God puts a mark on us when we get saved? Oh, it's not something that you can see from the outside, but if you watch someone's life, you'll eventually see it. He makes a change in us. Uh, Can I say it not only means to put a mark upon something, but it means uh, to clamp something down tight so that it might be preserved. Hey, it's it's garden season. Some of you may have been doing canning, uh, and you got them cans, they've been sealed down tight. That seal, if it's broken, it'll spoil, but we've got a seal that'll never break. And that's the Spirit of God. It's uh, Listen, it's not whether we're holding on to Him. It's that He's holding on to us. Uh, he's not in our hand, friend. We're in His hand. I see that He's a picture of the Spirit of God. But I see in Rebecca a picture of the sinner. You say, why, preacher? Well, first off, I see that she was wooed by Eliezer. Eliezer comes along and begins to talk about all the things Isaac is and can do for it, and talks about all the wonderful things. You know, that's what God did in my heart and in my life when I got saved. God had to tell me I was a sinner. God had to make known to me that I was a sinner. Uh, there's a lot of folks out here, and, and listen to me, and I want to try to be very careful in how I say this. Uh, because I've heard people make this statement. I heard somebody make it not too long ago. I heard somebody make the statement uh, that you you may be able... Anybody can get saved, but they can't get saved at any time. I heard someone make that statement. And can I say that in a sense I agree with that, but let me clarify it. Unless the Spirit of God's dealing with you, you aren't going to want to get saved. You say, can you get saved anytime you want to? Sure. But you ain't going to want to unless the Spirit of God's dealing with you. Hey, we're not playing both sides of the fence. You'll find it in the Bible. No man cometh unto me except my Father draw him. It doesn't, it doesn't say no man is pulled unto me except my Father draw him. It says no man cometh unto me. You're not going to come to God except the Spirit of God shows you your need of him. You're not going to come to God except the Holy Spirit's dealing with you. But hey, if he's dealing with you this morning, today's the day of salvation. You don't know if you'll get another chance. Now's the time to come to God. So I see because uh, she was wooed, but not only because she was wooed, but because she was willing. And I may not. This is just my introduction. Hang with me. Uh, the, I see that, that they asked her this question. Wilt thou go with this man? Wilt thou go? And you know what she said? She said, I will go. I will go. No, no sinner's ever been saved against his will. His will has to be broken. And he has to change his mind about who and what he is. And look to Jesus to forgive him and save him. That's as simple as I can put it. You have to be willing to be saved before you'll ever be. You know, a lot of people, they're willing to feel better. They're willing to be forgiven. They're willing to have a better life. They're just not willing to get saved. Isn't that right? They're willing for God to get them out of debt. They're willing for God to fix their marriage. They're willing for God to do all these things. for. But they're not willing to admit they're a sinner in need of Christ's salvation. That's a lot of the confusion we have today. That's why I think we need to be careful and diligent and discerning and scriptural when we deal with people about their salvation. Because people have learned the language. And you can look at people. I saw my Sunday school class today. You walk up and down these roads. we got about 15 roads around here with the name Wall. I don't know if we're big fans of Walmart or what. We're on Wall Ridge. There's Wall Rock, Wall Oaks. And uh, I don't know the Waltons maybe. I have no idea. But you go all the way up and down these roads and ask people, you wouldn't find a single person that isn't saved if you just walk up and say, are you saved? 
Are you saved? Are you saved? Oh, you might find one or two that wants to prove a point to you, but most of them will say, yeah, I'm saved. Yeah, I'm saved. Learn the language, you see. But what they mean by saved is they mean I go to church. Or what they mean by saved is I've been baptized. Or what they mean by saved is I'm a good person. But now you ask people, have you ever confessed yourself a sinner before God and looked to Calvary and the finished work of Christ to save you from your sins? And people just look at you. You see, you've got to be willing to be saved before you'll ever be saved. But I see not only because she was wooed and willing, but I see because she was wed. Oh, it's one of the most beautiful pictures in all the Word of God. When Isaac... (laughs) When Isaac comes by that well, and he looks off and he sees the camels coming, he doesn't go back to the house to wait on her. He goes out in the field where she's at and he meets her. You know that the field is a picture of the world in the Word of God. And can I say that there's coming a time, the Bible says that the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with, uh, with a shout, with the, voice of the, uh, with the trump of God, with the voice of the archangel. The Bible says uh, that we shall be caught up together with Him in the air. I, listen, if I leave this world, before the Lord returns, I'll be going to Him. Uh, but if he, if he gets impatient enough, He'll just come and get me. Amen? Uh, we see a picture of the sinner. And I want us to notice three things this morning. Now we'll get to preaching. I want us to notice, first off, the wooing of the Spirit. I want you to notice, first off, that Eliezer came to her where she was at. It says there in the passage of Scripture that he took his camels and he went down to the well of water and he just knelt there. He knew that she'd be coming that way. Can I say that I'm thankful that the Lord didn't wait on me to clean myself up before He saved me. The Lord didn't wait on me to come to Him. He came to where I was at. The Spirit of God found me in the depths and darkness of my sin and showed me my need of Calvary. He came to me where I was at. But I see not only that He came to her, I see that He called her. He said, listen, there's, <laughs> he said, listen, there's a man by the name of Isaac, and he's looking for a bride. And He'll have you if you'll come to Him. I'm thankful for the day that the Spirit of God made real in my heart and life that God would have me if I'd just come to Him. That God would have me if I'd just come to Him. I'm thankful there came a time... I mean, listen, I heard the gospel message my whole life. But then there was that day when God called my name and said, if you'll come to me, I'll forgive you and save you. It was the Spirit of God that did that in my heart and life. No one was around. And I listen, I think that in a very particular way, God allowed me to be saved in that manner because I've used it in sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon to make people understand this truth. I was by myself. There was no one taking a Roman's road. There was no preacher up preaching. There was no invitational song playing. In the stillness of my bedroom, God called my name. And it was real to me in that moment. Some of these people, it's just not real to them. God's never called their name in that way, or if He's tried to call their name, they weren't listening. We see that He called her. But I want you to notice, not only did He call her, He convinced her. I know we already talked about it, but we're going to talk about it some more because it's just so good this morning. You know the first thing that He did? He took earrings and put on her ears. And He took bracelets and He put on her. You know the Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Spirit of God. Listen, that was the first time when God convicted my heart. That was the first time I'd ever had any taste of heaven. I I mean, I'd heard the Word of God. I'm aware of that. I'd been in preaching. I'd been in spiritual services. But it's like God just reached down from heaven and tugged my heart and said, Toby, I'm here. I'm here and I'm real. And I'll save you if you'll come to me. 
What was it that she that he was doing when he took him earrings, put them in her ears, and then bracelets on her wrist? He was saying, there's more of this if you'll come with me. Can I say the Spirit of God, when he speaks to the human heart, you know what he's saying? He's saying, if you'll come to me, you can find forgiveness. If you'll come to me, you can find salvation. It didn't take much. She's probably like most teenage girls. She saw them earrings, and it was just sold right then. Amen. She didn't. There wasn't no discussion. There wasn't no, well, what does he look like? I mean, she saw them. I don't know how much a shekel is, but it sounds like a lot, don't it? Amen. It's ten shekels worth. I mean, when she saw that he was serious, that's all it took. I want to say that not only uh, did he, and I'm losing track. It don't matter now. But I want to say he also confirmed her. He confirmed her. Do you understand that when she said, I will go, it was sealed right then. Right then. It wasn't when she saw Isaac that it was settled. It was settled when she made the decision to go. Can I say that my salvation has been settled ever since December 1st, 1997? It's been settled. You say, preacher, you saying you've never doubted? Oh, no, like most people saved at a young age. I went through times when I doubted. But my doubting didn't disrupt him. My doubting didn't do anything to my salvation except maybe hinder me in my walk. But my salvation from that point on was never a question. It was settled. It was sealed. You say, preacher, are you trying to hold on and hold out? No, he's done got a hold of me. I'm not waiting to see how it turns. I'm not waiting to hit those pearly gates that for some reason people think St. Peter would, would be. You know, that's a Catholic idea, right? That he's the gatekeeper. And, and you know how sad it is uh, that they will put him as the keeper of the gates, but they think so much of him that all he is is the gatekeeper. Isn't that sad, Brother Charlie? Now, he's not the gatekeeper. But I, I'm not waiting to talk to St. Peter at those big balances to see if my good works outweigh my bad works. I'm not waiting for that. When the Holy Spirit of God said, Toby, if you'll come just as you are, He'll save you just as you are. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not going to trust me. I'm not going to trust my way. Lord, I don't know everything. Rebecca didn't know everything. You know that? And we're going to talk about it here in just a split second. But she didn't, you know, this is one of the most beautiful pictures of the, of the harmony and balance of the ease of salvation, but the Lordship of Jesus Christ in all of Scripture. She didn't know what she was agreeing to, but it didn't stop her from agreeing to anything. Let me tell you something. As a sinner, as a lost sinner, you know, you know that you'll never get saved. I heard it put this way one time. It's easy to get saved. It's easy a child can get saved. But you've got to get to the place where you do anything, and you'll find out that you don't have to do anything. She would have gone anywhere for Isaac. She would have done anything for him. She didn't know what lay ahead, but she was going to make him the Lord of her life. I'm not saying a lost sinner understands everything about the Christian walk when they get saved. That's foolishness. I'm not saying the lost sinner has to surrender to the ministry or to the call to preach to be saved. That's foolishness. But you don't come trying to bargain with God. You won't get saved that way. You don't come saying, I want your forgiveness, but I don't want your son. It don't work that way. We see that he confirmed her. It was sealed. It was settled in that moment. All 500 miles lay between her and that husband. But it was sealed and settled in that very... I don't know how many miles lay between me and seeing my Lord's face. But I know that it's settled right now. We see that He carried her. Put her on the camels and carried her. Hey, I'm not trying to work my way. It's already been worked out. 
I'm not trying to hope I get there. I know I'm going to get there. The Bible says that we've been uh, predestined. The Calvinists want to talk about predestination. Let me tell you something about predestination. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of His dear Son. That means what? That means no matter where I'm at when I leave this life, I'm going to be like Him in the next one. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear... You say, when's He going to appear? Well, for those of us that are alive at His coming, He's going to appear in the air. But for those of us, listen, that die before the Lord returns, He'll appear when we see Him in heaven. We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. I see the wooing of the Spirit, but I see the wonders of the Savior. We see His wealth. We see His wealth. Can I say to you that there are no wrong reasons to get saved if you're truly coming to Christ to be forgiven of your sins and redeemed? What I mean by that is this. I've heard some people say, well, I just don't believe you get saved just because you're scared of hell. Well, i got a problem with that because I was scared of hell the night that I got saved. But I've known other people that they're just so blessed and overwhelmed by the goodness and grace of God. But I've known other people too, listen now, that was so deep in the gutter and the, the despair of their sin. That one of the reasons they got saved was so that God could change them and make them a new creature. We see that they say, <laughs> you can imagine the look on Rebecca's face. She's just going out to water her camels. She's just going out to get water for her house. What were you doing when you got saved? Was you looking for God or was He looking for you? I wasn't looking to get saved that night. But when the time came, I was willing. I didn't go looking for God. Rebecca just goes out like she would any other day. Nothing different, nothing unusual. And there stands this man, Eliezer, with all these camels. And something inside of her said, you need to water that man's camels. And she did it. And I don't know how many camels. He, well, it says ten camels. I don't know how long it would take to water ten camels. I don't even know where the, where the door is that you open to water them. Amen. But it probably didn't take her that long. And then all of a sudden he starts pulling out jewels and gold and silver. And giving it to her. Don't you imagine she thought, what is going on? Why would this man that I don't even know... Are you listening? Why would this man that I don't even know care enough about me to do this for me? But then I remember the time when it occurred to me, why would the Son of God love me enough to do for me what He did for me. We see His wealth, but we see His willingness. He was willing to take this poor little girl. Didn't have much and wasn't much of nothing. And make her the wife of the Son of Promise. Why would God love us? I've preached messages before on how unreasonable God is. And He is. I'm thankful He's unreasonable. I hear people gripe all the time. Well, God's just not fair. You better thank the Lord God's not fair. If He's fair, you'd be in hell right now. He's not fair. He's just. And the only way He can be just is through the death of Christ on Calvary that made Him both just and the justifier of them that come to Him by faith, the book of Romans says. But I remember just thinking to myself that moment, I don't know why God would do for me what He's done for me. Can I say to you that after being saved for... 14 years, 16 years, something like that. I still don't know why God does for me what He does for me. I'm just as wicked and rotten as I was the day I got saved. 
You say, oh, but you're a preacher. Yeah, but you don't know me like me and God know me. Just like I don't know you like you and God know you. God still loves me, still puts up with me, still has patience with me. We see his willingness, but we see his wants. He wanted to take and marry that girl. Change her whole life. Give her a new father. Give her a new faith. Give her a new future. Give her a new fame. Look at all the things that changed with those three little words when Rebecca said, I will go. She hadn't said that. We wouldn't know who Rebecca is. But now, what did they say to her? By the way, this is the only time you'll find this word in the Word of God. Be the mother of thousands of millions. The whole Jewish nation exists today because this little girl said, I will go. I want you to notice finally the willingness of the sinner. What was she willing to do in that moment? What did those three little words mean for her? Well, I want you to notice first off that she was willing to leave everything that she had. I heard it put this way the other day, and it's one of the best ways I've ever heard it put. Until you get to the place as a sinner that you're willing to give up everything you are for everything He is, you won't get saved. That's what repentance is. That doesn't mean God's going to change everything about you. But he'll change everything that he needs to change about you. There's a lot of people, just like that rich young ruler, there's that one thing. That one thing. He came to Jesus and he said, I've done everything. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That was his problem. He said, what must I do? So Jesus told him what he had to do to inherit eternal life. And he said, keep all the law and the prophets. He said, I've done these from my youth up. He was a liar, just like I was, just like you were when you got saved. And if you're here today without Christ, just like you are right now, if you think you're good enough to get to heaven. He said, I've done all. I've kept them all from my youth up. And he said, one thing thou lackest, sell all thou hast, and give to the poor and follow me. People say, that's work salvation. No, that's not work salvation. It wasn't that he was uh, attaining anything salvitic by selling what he had, but it's those riches were the one thing that were keeping him from turning to Christ. That one thing. You've got to get to the place where, like Rebecca, she said, I'll leave everything I know. I'll leave everything for the hope that I might have in Isaac a redeemer and a husband. We see that not only did she have to be willing to leave, she had to be willing to love. To love a man she had never met before. I'm reminded what the Word of God says when it says, Whom having not seen, you rejoice with joy unspeakable. We love. Whom having not seen, we love. We love. We've never seen Him. I worry about people say they've seen the Lord. I worry that they've eaten too much crystals before they've gone to bed or something, you know. You say, oh, you're critical. No, the Bible says, Paul said, He was seen last of all of me. I believe in this day of grace that we live in, He was seen last of all. You say, what about John? John saw visions. Right? John saw visions. What was it that Paul saw on the road to Damascus? He saw the Lord in all of His glory. I can't explain it all. But, no, we've not seen the Lord in a visible, physical sense. But we still love Him. You know why that love is there? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God has shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. Whom having not seen, ye love. 
and rejoice with joy unspeakable. Let me tell you something. You get saved, you'll find what it is to really love God. Not play church. Not play religion. Not keep everybody happy. But to really love God. You get saved. You you really get a hold of what God's done for you. It'll put a love in your heart. It won't be a perfect love all the time. You won't always love Him like you ought to. I don't love Him like I ought to. But it'll be a love there for what He's done for you. Not only did she have to be willing to love, willing to leave, and I'm done with this, she had to be willing to live for Isaac. We know the structure of the home, and let me say that the structure of the home today as it's represented is quite mild relative to how it would have been in the book of Genesis. She was going, and you know what the Bible says that, that Sarah called Abraham? I ain't preaching on the home, ladies. Don't get nervous. Called him master. Called him Lord. You see, she had to be willing to live for Isaac when she got there. Can I say to you, and I'll just reiterate it again, she didn't know everything that would mean. She didn't understand all the implications of it. But she also didn't say, well, I'll take his riches, but I'm not going to do what he asks. And the sinner, when he comes to Calvary, we talk all the time. I hear people use this derogatory terminology. Well, that's lordship salvation. That's lordship. And I understand there is a theological mindset of lordship salvation and this idea and belief that, that we know what the Christian life entails and we're never going to be backslid. And I reject that. But you know that the Bible never says to call upon Jesus Christ for salvation. It always says, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. Why? Because Lord is not what we make Him. Lord is what He is. We take Him as He is, if He's going to take us as we are. I'm sure there were times Rebecca didn't do right. In fact, we know of one in particular near the end of Isaac's life. Rebecca was not perfect. Rebecca didn't always do everything that Isaac asked, I'm sure. But when she left Mesopotamia, when she left the house of her brethren, she said, I'll go and give my life to this man. There was that wedding day. That wedding day. Can I say there's a wedding day coming? But only for those that have said, I will go. I will go. If you're here without Christ today, can I say God will save you? Can I say the good things God's done for you? That's just, hey, that's just earrings and bracelets. You've not even seen all the Lord does for His children. You've not even seen. You've gotten a little peace. You've not even seen what the whole pie is yet. There's more to come. If you'll only come to Christ, He'll save you and forgive you.